You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruben Yeshua Poco of Coat St. Luke's premier synagogue, Beth Israel, Beth Aaron. Rabbi Pupko, it's the season of giving all over the planet, always occupied an important place in terms of their influence, and people have gone all over. There was a seemingly about stuck a young fellow who, not a religious man necessarily, but he seems to have contributed quite a bit, uh, a, a fellow who was worth, according to reports, $26 billion and is now... Never, he only has one credit card left, he says, and he's down to $100,000. Sam Bankman Fried of FTX, I'm not sure what it stands for, um, seems to have been exposed as, um, as someone who was playing fast and loose with a tremendous amount of money that people had invested. Neither you or I understand this at all, but that will in no way inhibit us from discussing it. Uh, expertise, knowledge, is really inconsequential to having an intelligent conversation. Uh, <laughs> yes, that has been that has been rabbis. That's our that is the rabbis' uh, mantra, as we know. <laughs> every, every 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 rabbinical drasha that has been given is probably right. There is really, you know, knowledge is highly overrated. Um, but I, I I'll, I'll begin this conversation about SBF Sam Bankman Fried apparently. To be involved in a financial scandal these days, it is insufficient to have one Jewish last name. You need to have two. His name is Sam Bankman-Fried. He was actually born on the campus of Stanford Law School, where both his parents are currently professors. I think actually one of this took a leave, but, you know, they're, they're professors. We're very highly regarded professors at Stanford uh, uh, Law School. His mother is Barbara Freed. She is the William and Gertrude Saunders Professor of Law at Stanford. His father, Joseph Bankman, is the Ralph Parsons Professor of Law. His aunt is the Dean of Columbia Law School. Uh, his aunt, Linda Freed, is the current Dean of Columbia University Mailman School. I'm sorry, not law school, Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health. So he, uh, he has what modern Jews would call yichs. Right. His uh, parents, I think his mother went to Harvard. His father is a graduate of um, UC Berkeley and, and a law, a Yale Law School. His father went to Yale. His mother went to Harvard. It doesn't get better than that. And um, is, there, is there a reason, he, uh, by the way, since, since you're mentioning, uh, Rabbi, the order of his last names, uh, is this does this go back, I think, to sort of like the uh, uh, the matronymic? you have in Latin American countries where you start with the father's last name and then you hyphens I don't, I don't know hyphens don't belong in names pick one move on I met somebody recently who had two hyphens they had a hyphenated first name and a hyphenated last name and I explained to her that she has one hyphen per person she has to choose I think it was funny I thought it was hysterical yes. and so <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, but which is a, which is interesting. Obviously, I guess it shows that, as you say, he has hijos, but he also seems to be from an enlightened sort of uh, uh, sprung from the enlightened area of 
of, of sophisticated Jews, uh, where both mother and father uh, should have credit for this product, as opposed to some sort of patriarchy where uh, the mother has to subsume her name. So I guess Sam uh, decided, or his parents decided, that uh, he should he should wear both. So I think, do, do, I think it was provoked by the misconception that women play an important role in, in childbearing and, and in birth. And everyone knows that pregnancy and labor is much harder on the father. And so do you think his parents are shepping nachos from him since we're talking about his parents so much? Well, here's the thing. Not only did he start this cryptocurrency exchange called FTX, a trading platform uh, for cryptocurrency, about which I understand nothing and have read much. And I still don't understand it because I just have one question after I read all this stuff is, uh, show me the money. And, and, and I don't know where it is. And if I can't see it, it doesn't exist. Parenthetically, I had lunch yesterday with a fabulous- like You're having lunch right now too, it sounds like. I continuously, it's actually a, a, a very central feature of my day. And- <laughs> And the, uh, I'm chomping away. Now, uh, I had lunch with this guy yesterday, very wealthy guy, uh, understand, you know, investments. He, he has, uh, you know, he has, he owns a bank in Brazil. He has paper interests. A wonderful guy. Very wealthy, very good, very smart guy. And I asked him jokingly, I said, how much did you lose in the crypto crash? And he said to me, Rabbi, I don't invest in things I don't understand. And this is a brilliant guy involved in all kinds of investments. And he said, I've had professors come to my office to explain it to me. I wanted to understand it. And no matter how much they explained it, I don't understand it. And I don't invest in things I don't understand. So I was very happy to hear that from him because I don't understand. Here's the background. So FBS starts this company. He's doing fabulously well. He spends an enormous amount of time and energy talking about something called effective altruism which is he's promising to give his money away. He's promising to give it away in a very effective way, as the name of this uh, uh, ideology implies, effective altruism. And he gives an enormous amount of money. He gave $40 million to the Democrats in the past election cycle, second only to George Soros. And um, he has vigorously um, tried uh, to use his political leverage to, guard, to gain uh, regulation of crypto to his own advantage. There's no question. He was using, uh, to try to use his money to gain political access to write the rule book on crypto regulations. He was the rising star. I mean, people referred to him as the next JP Morgan. He was on covers of business journals. He was considered the next big thing. I mean, he started working on this when he was 15 years old. Yeah, they, they started a second company called Alameda, right? And Alameda, so FTX is a platform. Alameda is an investment arm, I believe. And again, anybody who takes anything I say, you know, as, you know, as, uh, you know, as absolute truth on this subject should have their head. Using customer money, in other words, company money, customer money to shore up the investments in Alameda, it's, it's basically a diversion of assets without customer permission. And the whole thing went bust uh, when uh, it was became obvious that 
he didn't have the resources to back up the, the claimed amount of money in the, in the in the funds. Anyway, the whole thing collapsed and precipitously. In a, in, a, in a minute, the whole thing collapsed. One guy got wind of the flimsy uh, nature of, 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 of how they were running things, the disorganized manner in which things were run, the lack of real auditing. And he pulled out his money and it created a run on Alameda. And they both have collapsed. Shift blame to his former girlfriend who he placed as and head of Alameda. They were all living in the Bahamas together. And some weird rumors about their lifestyle in the Bahamas. He bought his parents a huge estate in the Bahamas with the money. And like in any financial collapse, there's going to have to be a reorg. Under Chapter 11, they brought the guy in who did the reorg after the Enron collapse. He said he's never seen anything so insane in his life as the setup of the economic, of the, you know, the money management of these two firms. He's never seen anything crazy, and um, um, and, and right now a lot of people have lost a lot of money. And whether they're going to do a clawback like they did with Madoff to the people who benefited, meaning maybe his parents or even political donations who knows to do a clawback the only time will tell but the whole thing's now in bankruptcy for these people uh i mean it's true now it seems like people who've invested in have lost but you know, what what can we say uh, rabbi in terms of notice how many times i'm saying the word rabbi um what can we say in terms of of of, of, the, of the phenomena of looking towards this the next new rising wealthy star um and expecting Instead of, I guess, you know, sort of a grassroots way of, of, of keeping our, supporting our communities. Don't you think it, 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 it's sort of, I, I don't know what sort of clout he yelled, but whether it's Adelson or even in our time, uh, Reichman, uh, do you, don't you see a problem of, of, of depending so much on like the, the, the one shining star of, of giving? And so Listen, people- if you look at, uh, for instance, a recent story in Edmonton, Alberta, where you had one very wealthy family funding several Jewish institutions and then they suffered reversals in COVID and, you know, two or three institutions had to close up and nice rabbis and teachers lost their jobs. Of course, there's a risk. Also, there's a risk in terms of corruption where in places like, I don't want to actually name the cities, but um, where it's known uh, that there's one gvir, right? who has made their money and is now supporting, you know, a lot of the institutions, there's great advantages to it because you're, you have a, you know, you, you have a lot of financial support. The downside obvious is, is obvious in terms of, you know, having things too centered on one person and one person's wallet, but uh, it, it's, it's, it's at times very beneficial. I mean, it, you know, there's no good in this world that doesn't come with a downside and relying on one guy is a problem. Sure. But again, it, 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 there's, there are, you know, the, the, there are a lot of wonderful individuals who've done great work that way. I mean, Sheldon Abelson did, did great stuff for Israel with birthright and everything. Yeah. So, uh, to, just to put in perspective, when you have one person, so at least there's a certain uni- unity of of vision, uh, and therefore things can get done. On the other hand, when you sort of spread it out, and you you try to have people of moderate means or decent means, but forming coalitions and coming together uh, and working in such a way. So um, probably it's not as forceful 
and there's a certain you know grinding in the mud that happens. But on the other hand, you know you don't have these type of collapses. Also, uh, you don't have the crazy whims that these millionaires or bill super billionaires might have. Uh, each each direction has a plus and a minus to it. There's no question, and I've seen both. We've all seen both, and um, and you know the what, what's the antidote? You're going to try to convince fundraisers not to take that much money from one career? What are you going to do? That's never going to happen. It's interesting, though, like in the American political system, there has been, uh, in terms of election reform, there has been people clarion calls for that. Uh, and, 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 and therefore, you know, uh, as we say, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. If there is that limit, and, and there is a limit in terms of, you know, the, the places of tzedakah, that you know, Gavirim can contribute to, um, then I think that will cause a little more of a, of an equality uh, around the board. There's going to be a, a difficulty, but you know, tax laws can be written in a way uh, that that I think can be that we ultimately it's sort of like take your medicine and ultimately make you stronger. Uh, you know, it's an interesting argument, but again, uh, you know, is that uh, it'll never happen. Um, you know who's going to limit how much someone can give to charity uh, or to any one particular charity. What's interesting in the SBF case is it's clear that all this charitable giving that he was publicly touting about himself was a real cover, a camouflage for old fashioned, you know, you know, shenanigans with money and other people's money. And again, this is the same thing that happened with Adam Newman, with Elizabeth Holmes, with, uh, 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 in case I'm forgetting, where because of the huge amount of money that some people made with Facebook, Google, and Amazon, uh, everyone in, in, in you know in, in the investment world is so desperately worried about missing the next big thing. Right, and, 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 and when. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes talks about her blood test or Adam Newman talks about changing the world by having people work in offices together with each other uh, or when Sam, SPF says he's figured out crypto and all this. It's not greed. People think it's greed. I don't believe that's the number one issue here. The issue is pride and ego and not wanting to be a sucker where other people have made enormous fortunes because they bet early and were lucky enough to bet on the right startup and they maybe were left out they're just desperate not to be left out another time it does seem that in the last 25 30 years it's the young turk who somehow is able to upend uh, the ideas look uh, you know mark zuckerberg is how old was he when he started his uh, yeah, it was a kid platform? right and I think that that and, and even Elizabeth Holmes, everybody was struck by her youth and how you know she was able just you know barely in, in grad school uh, to come up with this. I think there's a fascination and a, and a sort of like a romantic idea of how these young people can and, and Freed is the same way, Bankman Freed is the same way that they can somehow hop over the conventionality and think out of the box and come up with something. And and, and as we say in Yiddish, they became Rakishan. Oh, this young, this young prodigy that's coming out of nowhere. You know, this is the you know, like like Jesus uh, overturning the tables of the money changers. This is something new. This is something different. This is something which we've got to get onto. Um, and you know, I, I I contrast that to to 
to uh, Mike Bloomberg and others who seem to have done it like the old, you know, the old fashioned way. Of youth, but there's a worship, especially in technology, about uh, the un, you know, the, the new frontier, the, the, what, what, what no one's done before. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and again, you know, what's the next thing? I mean, look what Zuckerberg has done now. And, you know, and, 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 the, and the jury's out, uh, refocusing Facebook on, on, on artificial intelligence and the metaverse. Where that's going to lead. I mean, Facebook has lost an enormous chunk of its valuation with this new direction. Maybe it'll pay off in the end. But um, Amazon lost money for you know, for years, for years and years. And, and its retail division, even this past quarter, lost money. But um, it's become something very different. It's become a cloud service. It's become a, da- a bank of data for advertising. And the people who either had the good fortune or the insight to predict who would be the winners and losers have done fabulously well. And it's left a lot of people on the outside wanting to make sure they don't miss the next gravy train. Yeah. Well, I think you make, you, you raise a good point about Amazon because uh, I don't think that genie is ever going back in the bottle. And uh, you know, the, the images that we have from uh, all these old time films of running around Christmas shopping and even what we remember from uh, people elbowing themselves uh, to get the Cabbage Patch kids, that's gone. Um, we talk about this season. Um, everything is from the comfort of your home and uh, I, COVID notwithstanding. Um, you know, I think that it's not just because I don't want to catch a disease by going into the, the throngs of people in the department stores. Why should I? Uh, the, t- the time, the effort, um, and uh, so, you know, Amazon has definitely changed. I, again, Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency, as you say, maybe it's never going to become as mainstream as they would like it. But the idea of what Amazon does, that things are not, again, all, all the brick and mortars, uh, really the death knell has sounded for them. Don't you think? You know, <clears throat> Listen, the overwhelming majority of retail business in the United States is still being done in brick and mortars. I mean, um, it's, you know, the, uh, you know, online shopping is certainly growing. But um, if you look at who's doing the buying and what they're buying online, it's fascinating. I mean, I never thought that a woman would buy clothes online, right? I never imagined that a woman buying shoes online. What, yep. what I find, what I find, I agree with that because you know she wants to see how she looks and she needs the primping of the sales lady. Happened. Amazon did was they understood brilliantly is if you make it easy to return things, people will buy them. Right, right. That's it. The return policy. You know, it's also fascinating. Um, what was what was a staple of our youth was you go do to the to the used car lot, take it out for a drive. See what you feel about it. Sit in the right. car for a while. Take it. Take the keys. I'll, we'll take you on a test drive. You'll see. Bring it back tomorrow if you want. The, the amount of purchasing with Carvana and some of these other sites. I mean, you think about all the businesses that existed that have no role in our lives anymore. I mean, it's astonishing. I, I think that it's going to become almost like, you know, one of the first conversations we had was about boutique Judaism. I think it'll be sort of like an adventure. Hey, let's not sit in our, 
these little boutique shops where the, the ambiance and the weirdness of what they're selling. But I think the staples are really, it's, it's all going to be stuff that you know, people are going to press a button on their computer. And, 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 and I was just in uh, Silicon Valley over Shabbos where my son uh, Eliezer is a rabbi. Uh, and um, they talk about, they've, you know, they're testing AI. And they've, and, and my son was telling me, one of the guys who's a from guy who works, he's asked the artificial intelligence computer questions on halacha to see what they come up with. It's astonishing what they have. Then he puts in a question, what's the best yeshiva to go to, you know, for a certain kid of a certain age. They came back with a brilliant exposition on, on, the, on the seminaries, the yeshivas in Israel and how this is different than that. AI knows everything. It knows everything. Well, look, if, 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 it, if, it can, uh, if it can beat uh, Ken Jennings in Jeopardy, if it, can right. beat, if it can beat Fisher, if Big Blue could beat Fisher in chess, why can't it also be a, uh, a tremendous resource for Trubus and Paiskin and Halacha as well? Um, but I, I, I want to, I beat the computer in one thing. <laughs> I had a Poland eating contest with the computer and I won hands down. Well, well, yeah, we'll see. Maybe now the, the new age will maybe have some sort of data input uh, <laughs> that, that that can take that can maybe have as much kishka and cholent as, <laughs> as as the typical person. Let's talk a little bit. What's uh what's end today with a little bit about California and San Francisco? Um, uh, I understand that you were cited on the jumbotron, uh, right? the dolphins and the and forty niners. I took my grandson Baruch Aaron. Uh, to the football game. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure his namesake in, uh, in the Oil Mammoth was very tefried, although it wasn't a Steelers game. Yeah, what can you do? But uh, yeah, I took behind to the, uh, the Dolphins 49ers, surrounded uh, a very boisterous crowd at Levi's State. Fans are, are as, 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 you know, dedicated. Probably from one game, especially I'm sitting there, I see what three rows of fans. You know, it's hard to. Philadelphia fans are quite boisterous and, and known and have a reputation. It, it, the most of the people I was sitting around, sitting around on Sunday were, were drunk, completely drunk out of their minds on beer. <laughs> I hear. I hear. There, there, there is this, there has been this that complaint, you know, for years Los Angeles didn't have a football team and now they have two. Now they have two. But there was this there was this uh, sort of dissing of the Los Angeles and the whole right, Southern the, the, California community that they that they don't care enough. Yeah, San Francisco is a real history of football. I mean, San Francisco is different. Yeah, I, I would say so. Again, you have the Montana and the glory years of the 49ers. Um, Ice. Yeah, and there's no question about it. And I, I assume that the Ring of Honor means something. And look, the Dolphins, you know, yeah, the Dolphins are also have a, a, a wonderful okay, history. Anyway. Can you can you repeat what you just said? Dan Marino was at the game. Dan Marino himself was at the game. Wow, I would have that would have been as close to see him. He yeah. was again one the, the greatest quarterback that never won a Super Bowl, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Marino had every single element you want in a quarterback. Again, a greater arm than Montana. Uh, I don't know if he had his Montana's brains and trickery type of thing, but um, Marino, wow. Did you uh, witness Garoppolo's uh, leg breaking? Did you see that? 
I'm sorry. Yes, of course. Yes. So, what was that like? Because I, you know, so I, 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 but before, I, let me just give a little. Let me give a little introduction to that. Um, when Taylor uh, broke Theismann's leg. Right. Yeah, that would burn around the world. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, everybody saw that, and then there was the constant replays. People saw the way Theismann's leg, um, you know, bent so ugly and terribly. How was it here? Did they were you able to? I I thought he'd be out for one play. I it, he rolled his knee. It, it was it was very different. It didn't look like a bad sack at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and 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 so was there a hush in the crowd that somebody is hurt down there? No, not at all. I guess completely desensitized to uh, to what's happening. Yeah. So they get yeah, Jimmy this G. Purdy came in. Purdy was pretty good, yeah. uh, and uh, nobody seemed to care. And they won, so nobody really cares at all. The game as well, but I, I've not seen even highlights this year. Not just because my team is so sorry. There's something gnawing at me about this game and its violence. And it was sort of brought to the fore again by uh, an article in the Athletic. Uh, that was highlighting Jeff Herod, who for years uh, before Peyton Manning got to the Colts, was considered the face of the franchise in some ways, a tough guy who would play no matter what. Um, and he has said something which I've heard from other older players, that they stopped playing as hard because of the concussion issues the, that Mike Webster and others, uh, their death uh, put on to the national scene. Uh, the, player, the players are afraid of that type of hitting uh, that we remember from Ronnie Lott, a great 49er, probably the, one of the greatest 49er safeties of all time, and, and others. Uh, those type of hits don't happen. Um, and uh, I don't know if you noticed it on the field. Uh, I'll tell you, I always, I don't, I, you still see, you, you really, you do see, you know, you do see strong hits. You still see them. Maybe there's less of them. I always thought what tempered their uh, the violence was more the threat of penalties than anything. Uh, well, look, the, Dave Durison shoots himself because his his brain is not working anymore. Um, you know, again, the type of uh, hits that we remember from Mean Joe Green, from Butkus. I'm going to mention, of course, my favorite Ray Nitschke. Um, those things, I, I, I think science and other things have tempered that, but the game is still, you know, incredibly, you know, uh, dangerous. Um, it's a type of thing yeah. where, where you forget about the fact that, you know, like you say, Jimmy G is one little uh, move away from breaking his leg, which right. might, that might be the end of his career. I mean, with Theismann right. once, um, and again, I, Jim, I don't know if Jimmy G was ready for the Hall of Fame. Andrew Luck earlier this morning. Well, we're going to Andrew Luck. You know, uh, he, he left the game uh, after a great year uh, when he was 29 years old. And, um, he, you know, he got scared of the injuries. And, and, and again, I, I think we do have to question this. And again, we both of us love this we, and, and we grew up on it. But I think, you know, in our dotage, I guess we should question really the, you know, the, the, the fascination with something that is really, uh, is really, uh, is, is really built on violence it's built on, on on aggression. It's built on something. And again, I know I sound like a you know like a totally awake, woke person here. I look at it as it's it's progress from the gladiators. Well, and and, and in some ways, I guess it fulfills as you say, the gladiators fulfilled some sort of public. Uh, Jack Tatum, 
was was the most we talk about Ronnie Lott, you know, Jack Tatum, his whole raison d'etre was to knock you out of the game. And of right. course, and I'll, I'll mention again, he's 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 a hero in your for on your right. team. Daryl Stingley, Daryl Stingley is became a hero, a spokesman. He was Christopher Reeve for, for in a certain sense. You know, he he never walked again, but he was out there, you know, uh, at all the games. I think the Roonies uh, elevated him as much as possible. And and maybe it was Stingley's injury that that started this slow turn, uh, you know, to, to, to actually, um, you know, uh, the referees to deal with the game and, and stop things like that, those type of hits, those vicious hits. Don't stop us from tuning in on Sunday. <laughs> all right take care my friend we'll check right. you here back next time be, be well everybody thanks for joining us for another episode from the yeshiva of newark at idt podcast be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode